I can remember that my grandmother always denied that men had landed on the moon. She just never bought into that. She said that was a big propaganda thing by our government. She said what they did is they went out there in the deserts out in the southwest and they set up a, a landscape out there and they put all the props in place and they, they videoed that and made on like it was on the surface of the moon. But she said they never went to the moon. She said, no way. I can remember her saying, if God wanted men on the moon, he would have put them there, she said. Well, that was sort of a unreasonable denial, I think, when we consider all the evidence that supported the fact that men really had gone to the moon. It seemed unreasonable to deny it, but to her dying day, she never believed that men landed on the moon. You know, in the Bible, there are several instances of people denying things, even though the evidence supported that the things were true. Uh, we see several examples of that, and today we want to talk about the most notable of those denials that we find in the Bible, the denial of Jesus as the Son of God, the fact that the Jews would not believe that he was in spite of the evidence. We want to talk about why they did not believe that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God in our lesson this morning. But our point will be not so much just what they did, but how that we might do the same thing if we're not careful. And that will be our lesson. Thanks for being here this morning. What a beautiful Lord's Day morning we have and a great privilege to be assembled together to worship God. We're thankful for the presence of every single one who's here today. Thanks for coming. We hope that in our time spent together, Certainly, we, we will have glorified God. That's our primary objective. But also that each of us will feel that our time was well spent, that we received a blessing, that it was good for us to be here. To any and all who are visiting with us today, thanks for coming, and please come again, and know that we are always open to your questions. Well, what about this question? Why was it that the Jews did not believe in Jesus? The text for our study is going to be the one that Mark read for us just a few moments ago from John chapter 5, and you may want to take your Bibles and turn there because we're going to be examining that text rather thoroughly as we study along together this morning. The first thing that I would point out from you from that text in John chapter 5 is that Jesus did, in fact, make claims about himself. Did you notice as Mark was reading there, he said, I can't of my own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father which has sent me. So notice Jesus said, I, I've been sent by the Father. That was the claim that he made. Uh, but he knew, he said, that if I'm just bearing witness of that myself, my witness is not true. So get this, Jesus made certain claims about himself, specific, specifically that he had been sent by the Father. Uh, but saying that, he knew that if I'm the only one who claims that, if, if, if that's just a claim I'm making without any evidence to support it, that's, that it can't be accepted as true. We understand that concept. For Anybody can claim anything they want to claim. Uh, claims are one thing. Proof is something else. For instance, I might claim that uh, I'm a, a, a really good golfer. Now, uh, there's one or more people here who know better than that, but if they weren't here to testify against me, I might make great claims about my skills on the golf course. Uh, oh man, if I had a chance to play against Tiger Woods, he ought to look out because he won't be able to match up with me, not even close. I could make claims like that, right? But you would expect that anybody who's so boldly making claims needs to back them up with some evidence, right? 
Claims, anybody can claim. Claims are one thing, proof is something else. Jesus realized that. He said here, I have been sent by the Father. That's a claim. But he knew, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, if I'm the only one who's saying that, and if, if, if the only proof of it is that I say so, then that's not much. If claims were all we had about Jesus, it would not be sufficient. Plenty of people have made claims. You remember a number of years ago when that fellow down in Waco, Texas, David Koresh, uh, uh, assembled a cult of people down there? He was claiming that he was the Son of God, sent by God, the Messiah. He made that claim. He wasn't the only one. There have been lots of people through the course of history who have made that claim. Plenty of claims... But if claims are all you've got, you've got nothing, all right? Jesus understood that principle. So Jesus not only made the claims about himself in this text we're studying in John chapter 5, notice he offered evidence. The first form of evidence that he mentioned was the testimony of John the Baptist. As that text goes on, notice he says, There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he beareth, or witness of me, is true, Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. And skipping down a little later, he said, He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. And so, Jesus was calling upon the testimony of John as verification of the claims that he was making. Now, this is a, this is a worthy form of argumentation. Calling upon an acknowledged expert is accepted in courts of law. Expert testimony is considered a worthy argument to make. Some of you may recall back uh, a number of years ago when there was a lawsuit about the construction of this church building. Uh, and the attorney who was arguing our case in a court of law called forth a number of expert witnesses. Uh, and, and, and there was even uh, a pay that had to be made. We had to pay experts to testify on our behalf. But if you have an acknowledged expert who gives testimony about something, then that's considered uh, to be a powerful argument in a, in a court of law. Well, in the case of Jesus, John was highly regarded by the Jews. And therefore, his testimony would have been a worthy thing because he was acknowledged. Look in Mark chapter 11 about John the Baptist. In Mark chapter 11, beginning verse 27, they came again to Jerusalem as Jesus was walking in the temple, and there come to him chief priests and scribes and elders and said to him, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question and answer me, and, I will t and, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, uh, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Notice that last expression. All men. Everybody. John was widely acknowledged to be a prophet from God. And so in this sense, Jesus was calling upon an expert witness concerning himself. He said, I don't just testify about myself. John, he testified of me. And, and he was regarded as a, a significant expert, and he lended his endorsement uh, to Jesus. And so this was proof from a credible witness. That was a form of testimony. Jesus offered John's testimony as evidence. But he didn't stop there. 
As the text goes on, he mentioned the miracles which he had been empowered to perform. Notice there, he said, I have a greater witness than John. John provides testimony about me, but he says, I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Jesus talked about the powerful miracles that he was able to perform. But you know, that was a long time ago. Now, you have to acknowledge, that was a long time. That was nearly 2,000 years. How, how would we know that the miracles that Jesus performed were legitimate and real? Maybe this was just a false claim, too. Maybe he claimed to work miracles, but he didn't really work miracles. And here we are, we're so far removed from the events of those days. How would we know for sure? Well, the answer to that is that even his enemies had to acknowledge that he worked miracles. Turn over to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, the Jewish rulers were seeking every way possible to condemn Jesus. Uh, they were trying to find out any way they could to accuse him, condemn him. In John chapter 11, verse 47, it says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Now, they exposed what their agenda was, right? They were desirous of maintaining their power base. They didn't want to lose their position, the 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 influence and authority they had. And they were afraid that if, they, if Jesus continued and people kept following him, they would lose their position. The Romans would come and take it away from them. But I went to the, the, the point we're really stressing here is notice, even his enemies did not deny his miracle working power. They said, this man doeth many miracles. And so uh, they were obviously prejudiced against him, but they could not. Their refusal was not because they denied the miracles which he worked. And so that certainly was a proof that Jesus was who he said he was. Testimony of John, the, the powerful evidence of the miracles which he performed, but he didn't even stop there. He offered yet another means of proving his identity as the only begotten Son of God. He spoke of the fulfillment of prophecy in his life. As we go back to that text in John 5, notice the famous expression there, search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. What in the Old Testament Scriptures would have testified of Jesus? Well, the Old Testament Scriptures contain hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah. In fact, as we've tried to enumerate them all, we've been told and tend to believe that there are better than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, and that each of those prophecies about Jesus was fulfilled in Him. And so Jesus suggested that if you would go back to the Old Testament Scriptures and search if you were to read the Old Testament, you would find out what the Messiah was to be and do, and you would find out that that's who I am. They all testify of Jesus. It wasn't the fact that some of the prophecies might have been fulfilled in Jesus. It was the fact that all of the prophecies, all 300 plus prophecies of the Old Testament, were fulfilled in Jesus. Some skeptics might argue, well, you know, a fellow could have worked things out to make it look like he was the Messiah by forcing fulfillment. And, and we would have to acknowledge that there is a possibility that in, in the case of some of those prophecies, you could argue for self-fulfillment. Uh, for instance, 
The Old Testament had prophesied that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, anybody can ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? And so uh, uh, Jesus might have read that and said, okay, well, I can do that. Uh, get me a donkey and I'll ride into Jerusalem and it'll make it look like I'm the Messiah. And somebody says, that's all you got there, you know. You don't really have much proof there because Jesus just self-fulfilled the prophecies that he read and studied in the Old Testament. Well, we acknowledge that that would be possible in the case of some of them, but not all of them, not by a long shot. For instance, the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just a tiny little village on the outskirts of Jerusalem. You, but you know what? You can't determine where you were born. You, that's not in your power. You couldn't, you couldn't self-fulfill that if you wanted to. Or, uh, remember when it came to the time that Jesus was arrested and crucified, the Old Testament specified the price that would be paid to his betrayer. They paid Judas 30 pieces of silver. Jesus had no control over that whatsoever, but it came to pass, and we could multiply the examples like that. And so these Old Testament prophecies, powerful evidence that Jesus really was the promised Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. Jesus said, search the Scripture. You think you have eternal life. They, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. So Jesus, again, not only made claims about himself, but he offered proof. The proof of John, uh, the testimony of John the Baptist, the miracles that he did, and the fulfilled prophecies in his life. But the fact of the matter is, they still didn't believe, even with that proof offered. Notice as the text goes on, Jesus identified three reasons for their unbelief. First of all, he said one of the reasons they didn't believe because they were just flat out unwilling to do so. Notice as the text goes on there in John chapter 5, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor of men, uh, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. And then it concludes by saying, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Notice, first of all, he says, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And so one of the reasons why they didn't believe in Jesus was just out, just an out and out unwillingness to do so. Uh, it, it wasn't that the proof wasn't there, but they just weren't willing to believe it. You know, it's so easy for men to believe only what they want to believe instead of what reality says they ought to accept especially religiously, it's easy for us to do what we want to do instead of what God says we must do. And it's just a matter of whether our will will submit to His. Let me give you a few examples in the religious world today of men doing the same thing. They simply will not accept what God says. Uh, what about the subject of religious titles? You know, it's very common for religious teachers and preachers to wear special titles. But Jesus condemned doing that very plainly in Matthew chapter 23, beginning verse 8. He says, Be ye not called rabbi, but for one is your master, even Christ, and all your brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. I don't know about you, but that sounds very straightforward to me, a condemnation of wearing religious titles, doesn't it? But men continue to do that. Religious men 
continue to allow themselves to be called by special titles, even wearing the name reverend, which is so common in the religious world. Well, why is that? Well, it's just a matter of will, right? They don't want to submit their will to God. God's word is very plain on that. Why wouldn't they submit to that? It's a matter of the will. Or what about women preachers? You know, we're hearing more and more about women preachers. Uh, and you may recall uh, an episode of the virtual Bible study uh, not very long ago where a church of Christ right up here in Franklin now has a woman preacher. Why is that? And, and how could that be so when the Word of God is so plain about that? First Timothy 2, verse 11, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Well, why would anybody think that it's the right thing to do to have women preachers? Well, it's a matter of will, right? You will not. The truth on that's plain, but they simply will not. Or what about the matter of homosexuality? In the, even in the religious world today, so many different religious groups are accepting homosexuality as, a, as, as normal and right and not sinful. And a number of religious groups have openly accepted that and now are even ordaining ministers in their various denominations who profess to practice homosexuality. How could they do that when the Word of God so plainly lists homosexuals? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verses 9 and 10, homosexuality is listed there among a number of sins. And Paul says plainly, those that practice such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, get the point. In all of the examples I just mentioned, we're talking about religious people. We're talking about religious people who wear titles. We're talking about religious people who have women preachers. We're talking about religious people who condone homosexuality. But they're religious people. How can they do that? Well, it was the Jews the leadership of the Jews who were religious people who refused to accept Jesus as the, as the Messiah. And Jesus said, the real problem is just a problem of the will. It's what you will or won't do. But people today still have that same problem. Don't the reason why people today are, are engaged in a number of religiously errant practices is because of simple unwillingness to accept the truth and apply it. So Jesus said, one of the reasons why you won't believe in me is because you're not willing. He said, and it really reflects a lack of love on your part. They had no love for God. Notice there, he says, I know you that you have not the love of God in you. Isn't that interesting? He says to these, now remember, these are religious Jews. He's talking to the leadership of the Jewish nation, religious people. And he said, you do not have the love of God in you. I, I have no doubt but that the Jews were offended when Jesus said that. Don't you Don't you imagine that put them off rather seriously? But the fact is, it was true. And there are plenty of people today who are in that same boat. Uh, they do not love God. And the reason we know that is because if we love God, then we do what He says. If we love God, even if it's not our particular like or preference, we will do what He says because we love Him. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. It is the love of God that we keep His commandments. I think the real danger that we see manifested in this is that a lot of men want to make God in their image. They want to make God like they want Him to be. 
Uh, and, and so when they profess love for God, they're professing love for a God that they have imagined in their minds to be like they want Him to be. But the real test of our love for God is when our desires conflict with His commands. And the fact of the matter is, if we love God, when we find our desires in conflict with His commands, then we stop. We do His will, not our own, if we love Him. But if we don't love Him, then we just plow ahead and do as we please. We're manifesting in that that we don't love God. And that was the problem with these Jews. Do you see it? No real love for God. They did what they did because it was their own desire. But whenever there came a conflict between what God wanted and what they wanted, they pursued their wants. No love for God. And then notice Jesus said a third reason why they would not accept him was because uh, they were satisfied to simply have human approval. Back to our text one more time. He said, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? They were busy commending one another. They were seeking the honor of men. They wanted to hold high position. They wanted to have men to praise them. They wanted to be accepted and acknowledged by other men. And therefore, they weren't really interested in whether God approved them or not. They received honor from one another and weren't seeking the honor that comes from God only. That's a worthy question for us to ask today, too. We could ask the question, whose approval matters most to us? Are we worried about what man says about us? Or are we concerned about gaining God's approval? Now, I think if we posed that question to anybody, they would know the right answer to give, right? If we said, who's, if, if we were to take a survey right here in our community today and say, who, whose honor are you seeking? Are you seeking God's approval? Or are you seeking man's approval? Everybody knows the right answer to that question, right? Everybody knows that you, you're supposed to answer, well, we're seeking to please God. That's the answer you're supposed to give. But in real practice, whose approval are they seeking? Well, I tell you, uh, evidence indicates that they're seeking the approval of men. And in fact, a number of expressions that you hear people use indicates that they're more, ple- they're more interested in pleasing men than God. How often when we get in religious discussions with people, do you hear them say something like, well, most people believe, and then they go on to, to describe what most people believe, saying that you are on the outside looking in. If you believe that, you don't believe what most people believe. What well, does it matter what most people believe? It matters what does the Word of God says. Or someone says, well, my preacher told me. And so they they, they seeking to justify themselves on the basis of what their preacher told them. Or someone says, brother so-and-so holds a position that, and then they go on to describe that. What are they saying? Well, they're seeking to be honored by men, approved by men, rather than to be approved by God. We can't be that way. Romans chapter 3, verse 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. But as all boils down, the only thing that really matters is what does God say? What does He think? What does His Word reveal to us? Where are we seeking to get honor, from men or from God? So in the case of the Jewish leadership, there were some real problems why they didn't believe. Now, again, the evidence was out there for them. It wasn't a matter of the fact that Jesus just made claims and accepted people, expected people to accept those claims without proof. He understood. He needed to supply proof, and he did, uh, via John's testimony and his miracles and, and fulfilled prophecy. But they still didn't believe. 
Isn't that amazing? Haven't, haven't you always sort of stood in amazement? How could the Jews see all that proof and turn away? How could it be so? Well, Jesus here explained why. They weren't willing. They just simply wouldn't submit their will. They didn't love God, and they were seeking men's approval. But I want to tell you, a lot of that still goes on today, doesn't it? A lot of those very same things are still in evidence in the religious world all around us. And so what about us? Are we willing to submit to God? Do we really love Him? Will we seek His approval above all else? We need to learn the lesson. The events that we talked about there happened a long time ago. And the men involved in that story are long since dead. But I want to tell you that the, the tendencies manifested in the Jews of old are still in broad evidence in the world today. What about us? What about you? Is your life right with God? Uh, will you submit your will to His? Will you seek uh, to get honor from Him alone? If you're not a Christian this morning, that means that you need to humbly submit to the simple New Testament plan of salvation. Hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can assist you in that, we're anxious to do so. If you need more study, uh, we'd be glad to sit down with you, arrange a time immediately where we could sit down together and give you the information that you need so you can make an informed decision to serve the Lord. Will you let us help you in that way? If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away and you haven't been faithful to your Lord, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.